Welcome back to Questions You Didn't Ask with me, Naisha Frey. Let's get back into the conversation. So, you know, you also talked about, you know, in this regard, like how much of this work is kind of hidden from mainstream media. And we've seen such a change and a shift, some good and some bad in regard to conversations about HIV and AIDS, the way it was portrayed in the 80s and the 90s versus how it is not portrayed pretty much at all now that we're in the 2020s, right? The 21st century. Mm-hmm. Why do you think people don't talk about HIV anymore? Because they think it don't, doesn't exist anymore because we are living. Mm-hmm. Because there are new medications. Um, there's also no advertisement like it used to be. Years ago, you could see um, information about HIV on billboards. Mm-hmm. If you lived in a city where there were trains, mm-hmm. uh, you could see it on the trains. You saw advertisement everywhere. You saw commercials. Um, now you're, yeah, you're seeing commercials on prep. Most of the times it's late at night. If you watch television at night, um, you are seeing some one or two different medications about HIV and or HIV medications and those commercials again are late at night. If you're a person that sits up and watch television, it's on selective stations. Um, and the advertisements most times are still MSMs, men who mm-hmm. sleep men or women of trans experience. Um, so the advertisements are not um, very um, inclusive. Mm-hmm. And again, people are seeing, oh, well, you could just take a pill. Mm -hmm. But we as a community are not always given the opportunity to really dissect the life of people living with HIV. Yes, I'm thriving. Yes, I'm happy. Yes, I'm Mm -hmm. an author of a book. And yes, I'm an author in multiple books. And yes, I have education. And, you know, I've done these things, but they don't get to hear the raw Mm-hmm. A person living with HIV, the having to psych yourself out by taking your vitamins with your HIV meds mm-hmm. and to also have to look up your vitamins to see if you can take those with your HIV meds, because some of those vitamins decrease the activity of the HIV meds. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we don't really get to explain to the community at large, the severity of HIV, mm-hmm. they are seeing bits and pieces. We are trying to change the narrative so that they don't have a misconception that HIV looks like the old pictures that they showed of mm. African countries where mm-hmm. people are starving and don't have access. Mm-hmm. But they don't hear the stories of Alicia's where in 2019, my 25 year old little brother lost his life mm-hmm. to the effects of HIV mm-hmm. virus because he did not have access like I had access. Mm-hmm. And he was stigmatized and he was isolated and he was embarrassed because he was a same gender loving man Mm-hmm. And he didn't know how to come to the family and he stayed away. Mm-hmm. 
there aren't case managers like I was the case manager that came and knocked on your door mm -hmm. looking for you if I found out that you wasn't going to your doctor's appointment um, and made sure you got in care. So all case managers aren't like that. Mm -hmm. So they're not hearing these stories. They're not hearing the stories of a person who has mental health issues that are living with HIV. And it's difficult for them to take their HIV meds because they're trying to get their mental health together. Mm -hmm. And HIV is at the bottom of the totem pole mm -hmm. and not even just the mental health, the fact that they don't have a job mm -hmm. to be able to have housing, to be able to store their medication. So they may be couch surfing, which is homelessness, where they are, hey, can I sleep on your couch for a couple of days? Mm -hmm. And they leave on Tuesday and go to somebody else. Hey, can I sleep on your couch for a couple of days? Or maybe they didn't even ask. They just hanging out and fell asleep. Mm -hmm. So these conversations, these raw conversations are not had. So we don't get to talk about the, the hardcore parts of HIV. Mm -hmm. They're seeing these cute commercials, which I'm happy for them, that are coming on late at night where most of America are already asleep or not even watching those stations. Mm -hmm. So that that's my commentary on that. Schools, we can't go into schools and talk about mm. HIV. Um, not thoroughly. We mm -hmm. can them a basic HIV 101, mm -hmm. but we can't really bring condoms into the conversation. Mm -hmm. We definitely can't talk about genitals. Mm -hmm. We can't say too much vagina or penis. Mm -hmm. um, there's just so much that we're not able to do. And then parents get upset when their child is out there exploring or learning from their peers and then schools get upset with the parents for not teaching children, mm -hmm. but nobody wants to come together and be open and talk about this. Mm -hmm. So the information is not getting out there and people are still contracting HIV, but mm -hmm. because many of us can take one pill and we live and we thrive, they take that as gold and say, it's not happening anymore. Mm -hmm. So along those lines, it makes me think about this article that I read in um, preparation for this discussion called Understanding Long-Term HIV Survivorship Amongst African-American, Black, and Latinx Persons mm -hmm. Living with HIV in the United States. It's a qualitative exploration through the lens of symbolic violence. This is written by Robert Freeman and Maria Godes, Guads. I may be saying her name incorrectly. I apologize in advance. Mm -hmm. Was uh, published in 2020 in the International Journal of Equity and Health. And it states that of the estimated 1 million individuals diagnosed as living with HIV in the United States, 74% have received HIV care, 58% are retained in continuous HIV care, and 62% evidence HIV suppression which is the ultimate goal of HIV treatment. And these rates of engagement have been improving over time. On the flip side says, yet the benefits of these HIV care and treatment advances are not distributed equitably among people living with, with HIV in the United States. First, 
The majority of people living with HIV in the United States are from African-American or Black racial and or Latinx ethnic communities. Mm -hmm. They are also low socioeconomic status backgrounds and thus are overrepresented compared to their proportions in the general population. It also says that African-Americans, Black people, and Latinx people living with HIV, um, it there's evidence that they have longer times between diagnosis with HIV and initiation of HIV antiretroviral therapy. And between, which is called ART, A-R-T, antiretroviral therapy, uh, between ART initiation and achieving HIV viral suppression, there are also longer time periods for Black and Latinx people. The other thing that is stated is that African-American and Black people living with HIV are more likely to show suboptimal adherence to ART, which is exactly what you were just talking about, Alicia. Mm -hmm. um, it's also true that uh, African-American or Black and Latinx people living with HIV are less likely to sustain HIV viral suppression. Um, some of the factors that, well, I'm not going to get into all of the factors, but I think that that's just really important to keep in mind that as we um, are talking about uh, living with HIV in the African-American community, that even though there are these amazing advances that are being made in science, mm -hmm. um, I'm so passionate about health equity and health disparities is because we are oftentimes still left behind, even though those advances are out there and so-called available, right? Yeah. Um, we are poor, <laughs> there's racism, there is, um, you know, lots of stigma um, that we inflict on ourselves and that we feel from other groups. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a number of different factors, um, especially being poor, that um, makes this the case. So us not talking about it isn't helping us. Yeah. Um, and thinking that there's a cure for it, that doesn't necessarily apply to us all the time. So, and when I say a cure, I really mean, so even if it's a perception, right, that people have, oh, I don't have to worry about that because there's a cure. Of, that's not true. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I don't have to worry about it because there's treatment for it. Depends on your situation and who you are mm -hmm. and how, you know, what type of support network you have and what type of healthcare organization are you a part of? How comprehensive and wrapping around is that service? Um and do you really want to test the system and find out? <laughs> that is a question. Um, so we're going to start to wrap up. But um, and I think one of these questions you've actually already answered because we've had such a full discussion. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess we could talk a little bit more about the social factors that put people at risk of being exposed to HIV, but I feel like you kind of run down those. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you feel, especially in regard to people's individual behaviors, social factors that you feel are especially specific for the African-American community? Um, one of the things that comes to my mind is related to, you know, the body of research that discusses, and you've heard me talk about this, the connection between um, like the historic 
policies around um, who Black people could marry, when they could marry, if they could marry, um, and how that restricted um, our thinking and our behaviors around dating outside of our community, right? Um, and then because of that, uh, we also have a concentration of these other, you know, factors um, that work against us, such as higher rates of incarceration, higher rates of poverty, generational, um, lack of generational wealth, um, and so on, that structurally puts us as a community, you know, mm -hmm. at risk. Um and, and, and the reason why is because from a virological perspective, if I'm using that term correctly, um, it isolates the virus into a very small group of people, mm -hmm. meaning that you're more likely to come into contact with it if you're only uh, in engaging in sex within that smaller community. And so I think about rural communities, right? I think about um, black communities that, you know, really don't, you know, step outside of their race, um, people that um, may have, you know, experienced other types of um, issues related to substance abuse and exposure to, to um, sharing needles, which does not have to happen, if, you know, in the case of like, just being an addicted to uh, a substance, sometimes it happens, because people can't afford needles for their insulin yeah um people don't think about those things but these are things that can kind of restrict people um and their spaces and their networks their sexual networks that puts them at risk um as it relates to the african-american community and i could go on and on about that but i do want to engage you a little bit in asking are there specific behaviors, certain social factors that you think are really important for the African-American community to be thoughtful about, maybe even to reframe? And asking that question, <clears throat> first thing that comes to mind is where the responsibility is always put on us. Mm. The responsibility is always put on the community when the system is working perfectly the way that it was created to work. Mm -hmm. And that is against black and brown bodies. Mm -hmm. Poverty, we were, it was set up for us to be in poverty. Mm -hmm. That's another reason why behaviors are the way that they are. Mm -hmm. We're in poverty because it's unequal access to employment mm -hmm. and pay and housing and food access. And we talk about, um, you said it earlier, the rural, rural areas. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about their access, lack thereof, and the distance for them to even get somewhere to get care, let alone information. Let alone privacy. Privacy, yes. So when we talk about their behaviors, keeping it real, it's like, how can you blame people? Because mm -hmm. they really don't even know what else to do. Mm. And those of us who are Black, Brown, and we do have access, or we have jobs, or we have homes, and we're okay, 
quote unquote. Right. We are looking at our other black people like, well, what's wrong with you? Why don't you this and why don't you that? Well, they weren't afforded the same opportunities or even if like I can hear people say, well, you can go work at McDonald's or you can go do this and mm. you can go do that. Let's talk about their mentality, their mm-hmm. mental. Like you don't, <laughs> mm. I'm so glad I can take a moment. Mm-hmm. If there was nobody who showed the young Alicia that they loved her, mm-hmm. when that guy told me, didn't I feed you? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to do this. After the trauma that I went through and I was broken Mm -hmm. and I felt bruised and tainted and Mm -hmm. rejected. If there was nobody there to rescue me, Mm -hmm. to support me, to guide me and show me another way, Mm -hmm. I would have continued the cycle. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here today on this podcast. Some people don't have the same opportunities. So I hear the question asked, Mm -hmm. and I hear and see fingers being pointed. And I'm not making excuses because there are some people, Black people, who are making decisions. We all have a choice. And some people are making decisions to be um, violent or to to do things that they don't have to do and they could be in a better situation. But when we're thinking about or talking about HIV and behaviors, when I think about the young girl or the young boy, MSM, um, um, male who sleeps with men or what have you, when I think about the promiscuous person, there's a reason they're doing that. Mm. They got rejected by their family or lost their family or they have no one and they're homeless. And in order for them to get a roof over their head, they Mm. have to do some sexual act. Mm -hmm. And that sexual act involves not asking about using condoms. So because that sexual act involves not using a condom or asking about a condom, they are susceptible to contracting HIV or some other sexually transmitted disease. So that puts them at that four letter word that begins with an R called risk. But they needed a roof over their head because it's the dead of winter or it's pouring down rain or it's 100 degrees outside or they're hungry. Or their body's been so tainted by sex over the years that that's what their body is craving. So that's all they know. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm having <laughs> ooh, I'm having difficulty answering this question in a um, political politically correct way, if you will. Mm-hmm. Because I know that my heart and my passion is always to get to the root of why a person mm-hmm. has the actions that they do mm-hmm. instead of pointing the finger at and frowning upon them. 
There's always a reason. There's always some situation that caused the person to get into the, or to behave in a way that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there was a point, now Alicia sounds all good and cute and all this, but y'all, I'm going to keep it real because I can't <laughs> And I'm still answering this question. Mm -hmm. There was a point that Alicia had a whole moment. Mm -hmm. Right, that's being deep, that's listening. What's a whole moment? Mm -hmm. I was giving up my beauty. <laughs> know what was going on with me. Mm -hmm. I literally, I was living somewhere in the mountains and anybody who knows me that happens to hear this, they'll know this was what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I did not know what was going on with me. Mm -hmm. I just was testing the waters. That wasn't my mentality. That wasn't me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was a male that was bragging about how they were heavily endowed. I was like, let me check it out. Mm. And before I knew it, Mm -hmm. I just was just like a rabbit mm -hmm. and I didn't know why I was doing that. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, I never contracted anything. Mm. And out of the times, and I have lost count, unfortunately, out of the times, at least 70% of those times, I did not use any protection mm -hmm. and I was called the condom queen because I had any type of contraceptive mm -hmm. that you needed. Mm -hmm. My point is mentally something was going on with me due to traumas in my past. Mm -hmm. And I had an urge that was coming up inside of me that I needed to have that. I needed mm -hmm. to have sex. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter. Mm -hmm. I went through a phase and one day I just stopped mm -hmm. and I was afraid. And I'm going to tell you what caused me to stop. One day I was drinking and I woke up and somebody was taking my pants down. Wow. And I was like, whoa, stop it. And thankfully, when I said stop it, no, that person stopped. Mm -hmm. And I was in my early 20s. Mm hmm. And later I found that that person through rumors, I don't know if it's true to this day. They were like, oh, such and such, they got AIDS. Mm. And now I didn't have any, I didn't have any education. Mm. All I knew was AIDS was a gay disease. That's mm. all time in my life. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if that could have happened to me? Mm. And then I got my act together. Mm -hmm. Later on down the line, y'all, I got married, mm. got my life together, going to church, doing the right thing. And I got married to a person that I knew all of my life since I was 14 years mm. old, married them when I was 30. Mm. I married into love and HIV. Mm. So when we talk about these risky behaviors mm -hmm. and, and this exposure and all of this other stuff, when I was out there hot in the behind and didn't know what was going on with my mental, I didn't contract anything. Mm. But when I made a decision that I'm going to wait for my husband mm -hmm. and do this thing the quote unquote right way, mm -hmm. it was not. 
Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. This is another reason why I love the movement risk to reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's get risk out the way. Mm-hmm. The risk doesn't really matter that much. What is the reason? Mm-hmm. The reason y'all that I made a decision to jump around like a rabbit on some penises. I'm mm-hmm. hoping I can say that in here. Y'all can there you go. Keep on going. <laughs> the reason that I was jumping around was that my hormones was all over the place and I was dealing with traumas from being molested as a child. Mm-hmm. The reason that I stopped is because I know somebody loved me. Mm-hmm. And I also had little children who were asleep in a bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that. Mm -hmm. And I had to set an example for them. And they didn't know that. And my children are grown to this day. And yes, Mm -hmm. I told them the story. And they were like, Mommy, no, you didn't. We didn't see that. It wasn't for them to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yes, there were risks. But my reasons, because someone loved me. Mm -hmm. So Let's kind of move away from the risk and let's figure out these reasons. Mm -hmm. People are making the decisions that they're making because they are homeless. They are hungry. They don't have jobs. And the white supremacy system doesn't Mm -hmm. dad going about our black and brown bodies. Mm -hmm. And we're doing the very best that we can with the tools that we have. And then we have people like you and I who are trying to create a better system to help our brothers and our sisters. Mm-hmm. And it's not working for everybody, but it's working for some. Mm-hmm. And this podcast I'm hoping will help some. Mm. If that don't touch somebody. First, first of all, I have to say that the way you answered that question, you called me in, right? I want people to recognize that having an idea, having an intention, and you think that it's a really good idea and a really good intention, you put it out there and you get feedback that it needs help or it needs reframing. Granted, I have gotten some feedback from some people that was not out of love. It wasn't constructive or anything like that. But especially on these last two episodes, I hope that the audience understands that I have received a point of growth because of the people that I surround myself with, that I engage in conversation with, mm-hmm. that I'm, um, I have a level of expertise in this field And I have a lot of pride about it, but I recognize I don't know everything Mm -hmm. and I can't know everything. Mm -hmm. So just you educating me and our audience about this whole concept around risk to reason and then being able to teach us what it is by applying this concept to your own life and your own story and not being politically correct, but keeping it real. Mm. using the word, calling a spade a spade. Yes, there were penises involved. Okay, Mm y'all. 
um, it makes a difference um, in terms of educating us. You know, there's that term free your mind and the rest will follow or they say <laughs> and your ass will follow. Mm -hmm. This is one of those free your mind moments, you know, because I have to admit, and I think that a lot of us in academia or who have a thick academic background have to admit that the way that we have been trained is from that very same kind of white supremacist, patriarchal, um, racist at the core, um, yes. individualistic, capitalistic framework. Yeah. Which oftentimes requires us to pathologize the people we claim that we want to help. But if we go back and press rewind on the conversation, mm -hmm. Alicia and I, but especially Alicia, talked about how important it is to love people, mm -hmm. to trust people. And she explained how that same love and trust was given to her, which allows her to give it to someone else. Whether she agrees with or understands them wholeheartedly or not. And so I just I just want to say thank you again. I can't say thank you enough for your transparency, for your vulnerability, for your honesty, um, for your story, for you being you. So the last thing that I'm going to leave our audience with is learning about what are you advocating for right now that you want others to get involved with? What is the call to action that you would like people to move forward with? It could be your next book that's coming out, a conference where, where you're going to be speaking at, um, a political advocacy or fundraising effort that you're doing. Um, how can people align with you um, and, and work to help make our world a more equitable place, a more justice-centered place, a more inclusive place? First, I want to say thank you. <laughs> um, before I get to answer that, um, thank you for acknowledging the calling out and calling in, because I really didn't even recognize it. Mm -hmm. um, I am a storyteller, and I embrace that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is what makes me me. And though I do have academia in me, mm -hmm. and within me, mm -hmm. I also have <laughs> realness and my SME mm -hmm. in me, which is subject matter expert. Yes, <laughs> that's my true degree. Mm -hmm. um, and me being a storyteller, it just, it's my passion. So my passion comes out in answering questions and my love for people mm -hmm. and for people to be healed comes out in that way um, and to be a little bit more whole. So thank you for that. Um, thank you for teaching me and thank you for both of us learning in this space. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, call to action. Take a step back and breathe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
That's a true call to action. That's number one. That's Alicia's call to action from me to you, everyone. And I say that because a lot of the things that are going on in our communities and our atmosphere, politically, you name it, it's going on. It can be a shock to our system. And before we have the opportunity to think, we react. Mm -hmm. So it's always important to take a step back and breathe. Mm -hmm. My mother used to say, Alicia, think before you speak. I have an older cousin that still calls me. She's so short and she calls me little <laughs> Still calls me little leash and I love her so much for it. She said, you used to always just speak your mind. Mm -hmm. It was so innocent. You were just so little and you would just say anything. Mm -hmm. And I laugh because I see little kids and they do innocently just blurt out whatever it is that's right there in their heads. And as adults, we do that to things that we don't understand and we don't like. And my call to action, number one, is to take a moment, step back and breathe. When it comes to this work with HIV, if you're not a part of this movement, but you are interested, curious, you're not sure, Start looking up some of the movements, if not in your area, but maybe on a national level, like um, I mentioned earlier, um, what did I say? Uh, like the Ciro Project, mm -hmm. um, Positive Women's Network USA, mm -hmm. um, the Well Project. There's so many more. There's there's such a huge list. Earlier, I was talking about um, women and breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Their movement is actually called the Milky Movement. And movement is spelled M-O-O-V-E-M-E-N-T. <laughs> and what they're doing is they're advocating for women living with HIV breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. What I am personally working on for the years that I've been an advocate, activist, leader, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. I have spread myself across the board in this movement and I have dibbled and dabbled in everything, mm -hmm. which means that I will partner with the trans community, with the LGBT plus community, with everything. But my heart and my passion is Black cisgender women mm -hmm. living with HIV. Mm -hmm. And my last event, like I mentioned, was to include women in um, research. My goal and my desire is to mobilize women in the South all over living with HIV, cisgender Black women who are dealing with trauma to help heal them. I can't heal them directly, but what I can do is support them. So my goal is to mobilize these women to let them know that they have a sister who understands, who is there. I'm not God. I can't fix it all. But what I can do mm -hmm. is be there and help guide you to a resource 
or another person that can help you get to the next level in your life and not get stuck in a trauma that is causing you bondage. Mm -hmm. With that being said, educate yourself, person that's listening. Mm -hmm. If you don't know and you're not educated, don't slander. Google is one of your friends, maybe not your best friend, and there may not be the best information up there, but a lot of the resources that are there are actually great resources. CDC.gov is good. HIV.gov is good or CDC.com. Those websites are great and accurate information. CDC.gov, yes. HIV.gov, those are great websites for accurate information. If you are looking for a specific community, look that information up and you will find communities that you can support, but get educated. Don't be Mm closed-minded. You want to be the change that you want to see in the world get educated and do something. Mm -hmm. When you're standing around not doing something about the things that are going on, you're just as bad as the ones who are doing something negatively in the movement. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Accountability, education, Mm -hmm. research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of that. All All of that. All of that. Well, I think that we have said a lot. We have not said it all. (laughs) There could very well be a part two to this discussion because it was so rich and beautiful. (laughs) Um, But I just have to go ahead and tell my audience um, that I want you to continue to stay plugged in uh, to our social media on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, because we will be featuring a lot of these organizations Um, If you weren't able to capture it in the podcast, you will more than likely find them on our feature Friday. So please follow us um, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and share, 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 share. Let other people know about our podcast, about this series, um, and about these resources. We are about not just talking about it, but being about it. And with that, I will say farewell to my audience. And until next time, have a great, great day. Thank you for tuning in.